This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show for your Tuesday. Good to be with you today. Matt and Patrick. Uh, do you know Winter is going to join her, one of my favorite journalists in the metro area from Minnesota Reformer. She's going to join Brett coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Cooligan's going to join us. Or excuse me, Cooligan. Uh, Michael Broadcorp's going to join us coming up here in the about 4.30 as well this afternoon. Patrick is with us today. Hello, Patrick. How are we? Uh, doing well. It's a lot warmer outside, at least it feels like it well, than yesterday. It, it was one of those mornings where, okay, so, you know, this is just such a Minnesota thing. <laughs> it is. I, I went out and walked the dog this morning, right? I didn't take a gator. And so right about a, you know, about a block back before I get back to my house, I noticed that the area be- from my lower chin down my neck that was down to my jacket was like, boy, it's really cold. So I did whatever, you know, I kind of put my chin down by my, hey, I'm going to walk the rest of the way like this. Ugh. Stung just a smidge when I got inside. That's for sure. Uh, it's supposed to warm up. I was looking at, looking at uh, Sven's weather forecast. It's supposed to be getting, what, 40s tomorrow? Nice. Which is actually warmer than it should be. And yeah, we'll, uh, it sounds like it's going to be 30s and 40s for the next few weeks. This is like the one little shot of real cold weather we're having, and it's going to get a little bit better. I'm having a little frustration right now because I have got a pine tree in my front yard that is fairly substantial. Uh, we planted it. My, my father-in-law planted it uh, when my son was born. I uh, wanted uh, kind of one of those things. And so we never used to have it. Now it's about 20, 25 feet tall. It's fairly large. And I went out and I've never done this. I, I, I said, I want to get lights. I've been doing lights around the middle of it. So, but, so it kind of just, there are some lights out there, but it doesn't really look that good. I don't think, uh, you know, I remember when we were able to kind of get lights all the way to the top, that was kind of nice, but now it's just too high. And I really can't go out there anymore on ladders anyway because of the, the accident from last year. So uh, we're kind of stuck with, with, with going out. And I went to try to find someone that could do this. So I start calling around to some of these Christmas lights groups. Now, I remember when these, this, this whole subsect of business started up about 10, 15 years ago. And yeah, they just you come on out that you know you could get some person, you know, you know, hundred bucks, put the lights on, done, done. I'll even supply the lights, done. Now it's it's frustrating because I'm trying to find someone that will do it, and everyone's like, it's a thousand dollars minimum for it. A thousand dollars? No, I, I got one that was five hundred dollars, and that's that's with an annual contract, so I have to pay that every year, five hundred dollars to do. One tree. I'm not looking to do the rest of the house. I got the rest of the house covered myself. I can still do that. But it's one tree. I'm like, okay. It, it, I, I'm going to guess I'm going to have to find 
someone in the neighborhood that might have like a cherry picker. I, I think there is a guy that has one. I wonder if his works. <laughs> if, hey, how, much, how much would you like to drive that around my front yard and uh, put some lights on a tree? So, Patrick, I, mean, I, I can't uh, order you and Brett to do it, can I? No, I can't. Uh, maybe you can, but we're going to need hazard. Well, it's, <laughs> we'll get to that as soon as we get your pay. Uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, we'll dangle you. Do you like bungee cords? Bungee cords are fun. You know, they, it, it's bouncy. It's like a bouncy house, only upside down. All right, you'll, you'll love it. 952 946 6205. The, I, I will say, um, I, I, a little bit of a piggyback on yesterday's larger discussion about how AI is going to kill us all, basically. Um, and if you didn't hear it, basically the gist of the show yesterday, it's the entire three o'clock hour, basically, you can listen to it, is the fact that there are these two warring factions within the AI community, accelerationists and doomers, and one side basically says all these fears of, of computers taking over the world and killing off humanity, oh, they're unwarranted, make it better, faster, you know, that we, we need to make money. The other side is we need to be careful with this. And I said, you know, you can't – I mean, it's not only a problem of I – mean, because, I mean, there is a legitimate argument between, you know, people about could even AI do what we fear it could? Could it do that? Or would it be like most people kind of speculate it was just it – it would create a real big mess. You'd have to literally shut down the planet and purge things out of every computer – Without it being able to reconnect to Wi-Fi or something like this, and which would be a real nightmare. If you think about how many things run on computer and Wi-Fi, that would be a nightmare. But, I mean, needless to say, it's, it's, there is a, there's a disagreement there. But I said, not only do we have this concern about AI itself, that you could get something that might not become sentient and want, want to walk, wipe out humanity, but might become sentient and just become a pain in the tuckus to deal with. But as well, you have the corporate side of it which is not looking at the consequences of their actions or putting up any guardrails to prevent real chaos from happening. And we brought up the fact that AI seems to be the, more, the, most, the, the, the most common application for AI right now is, is, you know, sexy pictures, whether that's actual just, you know, tightly clad pictures or if it's semi-nude pictures or if it's actual full-fledged sex scenes. This is what's happening right now. This is the AI community looked at all these people that do at-home modeling, whether that's on Instagram or on Snapchat or on OnlyFans, and said, hey, we could take that entire industry and we can do it with some computer images and we'll, we'll make all the money. And so that seems to be their focus. And and the, the 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 other point was they've done this so quickly they don't have anything in as far as guardrails. Of course, the same technology is now being used to create child pornography, AI generated child porn, and this is a really big problem. And then on top of that, there's the whole will or will not wipe out humanity thing. So you know there definitely needs to be some guardrails, and there needs to be guardrails like yesterday. Two things: one, I got a letter, uh, a DM here from. <laughs> I got a message from a fan. Matt, I'm an OnlyFans model and I'm a fan of the show. I enjoyed your talking about the threat to AI to the online modeling community. I started doing modeling when I realized I could make a lot more than I was as a secretary. This year, I made about a third of the amount I made in 2020. AI is cutting into my customers. It gets much worse. I'll stop even though 
I'd be crushed. And Darcy writing in on that. Darcy, all my best on that. And like I said, I could care less. You want to do modeling, that's that's your call. That's your decision. You want to do it, that's as long as it's legal, as long as you're comfortable with it and no one's forcing you into doing it. And you know, you're you know, it's what you want to do. I'm not you know, by all means, bon appetit, off you go. But it just is it's it's kind of one of those things where that's clearly where the AI generated industry said, where can we make our money first? And it seems to be that. Axios today, today had like three stories about the dangers of AI. Guardrails AI companies add to their products to prevent them from causing harm aren't enough to control AI capabilities and could endanger humanity within five to ten years, said former Google CEO Eric Schmidt to Axios's Mike Allen on Tuesday. Interviewed at Axios's AI Plus Summit in D.C., Schmidt compared the development of AI to the introduction of nuclear weapons at the end of the Second World War. Yikes. That's kind of scary. I don't think that's necessarily a wildly out-of-control um, analogy, though. After Nagasaki and Hiroshima, it took 18 years to get it treated over test bans and things like that. We didn't, don't have that kind of time today, Schmidt said. The danger, he said, arrives at the point at which the computer can start to make its own decision to do things when, say, such a system discovers access to weapons and we can't be certain the system will tell us the truth. Two years ago, that moment was expected to be 20 years off. Today, Schmidt said some experts think that is only two to four years away. And part of this is these companies are don't they are ramming through warnings they are ramming through uh you know advancements they are not doing their due diligence and some of these ai companies are just downright dangerous they are absolutely downright dangerous schmidt argued that the best solution is to create a global body akin to the intergovernmental panel on climate change to feed accurate information to policymakers so that they understand the urgency and can take action. Schmidt says he's optimistic that AI will offer wide benefits to vast human populations. I defy, I defy you to argue that AI doctor and an AI tutor is a negative thing. It's got to be good for the world. I mean, basically what they're implying. And you see, this is how they sell it to us, though, isn't it? You're going to have the doctor from you know Star Trek Voyager, the, the hologram doctor. And he's going to be in there, be able to take care of you and be able to tell you what's wrong. Might be able to take someone who's maybe a, a, you know, a qualified nurse and be able to you know, direct them through a surgery. You know, there, there, there is always this positive. But the problem is, is that these people want to make money. And the reality is, is that's years away. I mean, even – OK, let's take the doctor scenario. First of all, you have to have – if if this is I mean because right now we're in Minnesota we got doctors <laughs> we don't necessarily need AI doctors we don't need them um, we we've, we've got them you know so this is you're you're clearly implying this is going to be in a country a developing country that does not have enough medical personnel very uh, Elysium sort of kind of thought process um, but you you're going to go send people out there. Okay, fine. First of all, you need to get the technology hubs up in that country because most of these countries they don't have good Wi-Fi. Let's just put it that way. Then you have to have a facility where you're going to have, be able to have the the ability to do this and and have qualified people to help out. Betty Ford and 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 so it is. It's it's one of those things you got to be kind of careful there with it, with um, you know kind of what you're doing so just you, you can't you can't just push that through and think it's going to happen you can't just do that 
So it's, it's years away. Meanwhile, what are they doing right now? They are continuing right now. They, and we talked about this yesterday. They want to make it to where you can upload the picture of your ex-girlfriend and make a thousand hours of the most intense ugh, porn you can imagine with that image of with that person you know in the AI system, and that's because they can that's a thousand bucks that's a thousand dollars we can get for something that's where they're at right now. So you can tell me about all these positives. You can tell me about all these things that are going to be happening and good, that are good. The reality is is that is that is not where we're at today. And is and and once again these companies. They keep pushing the envelope because the goal is money. It's not responsibility. It's not doctors. It's not tutors. It's not any of that stuff. It's how can we cut something out, the middleman out? This is why the entire film industry was so livid and insistent that you can't have AI writers and you cannot have AI actors. Because because th- this is – I mean that's – what are they trying to do? They're trying to get the images of all these celebrities and then they don't have to ever hire an actor again. Everything can be computer generated. Same thing goes with the online modeling community. So there you go. So it, it's interesting that there are – and if, there are multiple people who are at this AI convention in D.C. who are very clearly – insisting that nope 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 you cannot be doing this you've got to you've got to pull back on this and if we don't pull back on this immediately that this is going to go bad the other side of it though is this is that there's going to be some country out there that's going to allow you know a wild west mentality in regards to ai development and that's where all the companies will go and that's where probably if something does bad happen with ai it will originate from there and then i i mean yeah that's it's that you should be somewhat terrified of AI right now. I mean, I, that's not that's not a question. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five nine five two nine four six six two zero five. When we come on back, uh, I have got uh, Don Samuels is running against Ilhan Omar in Minnesota five. There is a interview that he did with Broadcorp and Becky on the breakdown the podcast. I'm going to talk with Michael Broadcorp about it when we have him on here in a second, but. I'm going to play this for you, and uh, I just want to prepare you. This one's going to be – this is going to raise a few eyebrows. Let's just put it that way. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. I want to get into this. This there, there is some audio that I am even I, I'm stunned at. If you want to know the truth, um, that I'm going to play for you here. But I want to make sure I'm being very clear here. I am not taking necessarily any sides. I, I've always said when it comes to elections, it's not my job to tell you who to vote for. I'll definitely have my favorites. I definitely have people that I, I like. But I generally, you know, in, unless I have a real concern when it comes to a primary, I generally will not tell you how to vote one way or the other. That's up to you. You need to be an educated voter. Go find out for yourself. Read up on what each candidate's about and go from there. Now, I will say come general election, I'm generally a little bit pro, more pro the DFL. But, it, you know, just that's just me. 
That being said, I, I don't want I, – I know that there's going to be a tendency that what I'm about to do here is I'm going to play something here, which is really inexcusable. Um, and it's going to be saying I'm t- picking sides. I'm not picking sides. I actually no longer – I used to be in Minnesota 5. When the redistricting happened, I moved to Minnesota 3. So I get to choose who gets to replace Dean Phillips now. This is no longer my district. So I'm not, I don't have a horse in this race anymore per se. Um, I will say I have twice over the years interviewed Ilhan Omar and the Minnesota Five rep. I interviewed her, as a matter of fact, last this last summer, pre the election season. And um, you know, it, 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 I've had interviews with them before. Uh, I believe I actually did. I thought I did interview Don Samuels at one point as well. Uh, but I mean, I, I'm not quite sure. I thought I had um, in the past. But that is the race. Once again, this is a primary battle in the Minnesota 5th race, which is going to be the race there to basically be the the House rep there. Don Samuels went on Michael Broadcorp's podcast, The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky. And I'm going to play this for you. I want to just before I before you listen to this, I want to say the first part of this is not a problem at all. As a matter of fact, it's standard political talk. The first part of this. There, this is this is what politicians do. You might like Ilhan Omar, and you might get upset that he's saying some of these things, but that's standard. It's the second part of this that you really need to listen to, uh, Patrick. Whenever you're ready, and so to see government not be responsive like that to the people who pay them, it is offensive to me, and to not be responsive and available to those people. To, to meet with them and find out what their concerns are and to answer their tough questions, to not get back to people on the phone. Who do you think you are? And who do you think you're working for? You're not cute enough. You don't dress well enough. Nothing about you is attractive enough to overcome that deficit. Wow. All right. Um, why? You're not cute enough. You don't dress well enough. Nothing about you is attractive enough to overcome that deficit. That's Don Samuels talking about Representative Ilhan Omar. Now, once again, predicate this. His argument and his critique of her, whether or not she is returning phone calls and being available to constituents, 100% legitimate political fodder. You can go back and forth on that. That is politics. That's what you get. What the hell, dude? What was that? You're not cute enough. You don't dress well enough. Nothing about you is attractive enough to overcome that deficit. Now, I know this isn't the point, but if I can say, as a person who has sat across from Ilhan Omar twice, she's actually quite an attractive, stunningly attractive representative. I am not. Most of them are look pretty good. I mean, they are they are pretty much camera ready. She is a fairly stunningly attractive woman. So, I'll just put that aside right now. I don't quite know where you're going with this, but this is. I don't know if you thought this was going to be cutesy petty. I don't know if you think that. Minneapolis is a bunch of alpha bros, dude. Alpha bros. Yo, dude, bros. Alpha bros. I don't know if you think it's that. But, um, yeah, Patrick, if we could, let, let's play that again, that whole clip once again. Once again, the first part is not the bad part. It's the second part, which gets to be a little bit like, what, what are you doing, man? 
I'm just going to need a second to pull it back. No, no problem. Please do. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, we're going to play that again with Broadcorp. Michael Broadcorp is going to join us here in the four o'clock hour. So we'll play it again for him as well and get his thoughts on this because he was actually there when they recorded this. Uh, so when, whenever you're, 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 you're ready, you can pull that up and uh, go ahead and play that. Yeah, just a sec here. I will be having it ready to go here uh, right now. Beautiful. ...like that to the people who pay them. It is offensive to me. And to not be responsive and available to those people, to, to meet with them and find out what their concerns are and to answer their tough questions, to not get back to people on the phone. Who do you think you are? Standard political talk here. And who do you think you're working for? Standard political talk. You're not cute enough. What? You don't dress well enough. What? Nothing about you is attractive enough to overcome that deficit. All right. All right. My wife, when she heard this, the first thing she said is, is he saying that if you are cute enough and you do dress well enough and are attractive, that you basically he'll overlook faults uh, with you? Is that what he's saying? Is that, you know, the, 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 that he basically is looking for attractive people and attractive people can, can make decisions? All right. That is wildly out of line. And, and, and I'm, you know, once again... Your first comments about whether or not Ilhan Omar is available to the public is very legitimate. That's that's just standard political fare. Going after you're not cute enough, you don't dress well enough, nothing about you is attractive enough to overcome that deficit. Where are you going with that, man? Because I'm sorry. I know Minnesota 5. That is not going to sell in Minnesota 5. And I know you might have meant it some way, but the reality is is that's the kind of comment that ends campaigns, man. And I'm not saying you should get out or anything, but I need you to explain a little bit more where the heck you think you were going with that because – and don't give me this. Don't give me this, well, she should just tough it up. She doesn't like comments about how she looks. Dude – First of all, once again, not the point, but she is actually a fairly attractive woman. But that, that being said, I mean, you don't dress well enough. Is that about the hajib? Is that about her, her headscarf that, that, that she wears? That, is, that what that, that, is that what it's about? Because that doesn't sound good. I don't know. I don't know. What do you mean she doesn't dress well enough? If you're talking about me, that's, a, I mean, that's spot on analysis, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm wash and wear. I mean, that's that's I I am I'm slacker casual. No, I that that makes a lot of sense that I would be if you wanted to be critical of me. But uh, that's not that's not cool, dude. That's not cool. And I get you want to challenge her, and I think you you definitely are have exposed a the moderate Democrats, the, the weakness that Ilhan Omar has with moderate Democrats. I can get that. But I don't know anyone, even in the most, you know, moderate part of the Minnesota Five that's going to be cool with you do, going down this path. I, I, I don't know. No, I'm not very cool with that. Uh, Jim is in St. Louis Park and he wanted to chime in. Welcome on in, Jim. 
Um, I, I'm kind of offended with the who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And it's almost like, uh, you know, like Muslim woman, who do you think you are? Kind of comment. Um, and I'm a, I'm a big Ilhan Omar supporter way back. And um, when I see what Don Samuels, uh, Samuels campaign, if you peel the onion back just a little bit, you start running into some groups that aren't, aren't real nice that are putting a lot of money into that. And we don't need Congress to be any further to the right than it is. Jim, thank you very much. No, I, 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 here's where I'll say I get, Jim, I get what you're saying about who do you think you are. And I'm not going to, you want to know the truth is I'm not going to criticize anyone that does get bothered by that comment. I think when you put it in context with what he was saying prior, which is your constituents are calling you and you're not returning their call, that's your job. Now, I'd be funny. I'm going to be, I mean, if Don Samuelson, Samuels gets into the House, I guarantee you he's not going to be returning all the phone calls from his constituents because there's a lot of phone calls these these guys take. And there's just not enough time in the day to basically, um, you know, to make all those phone calls. So you can sit there and, 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 and kind of use this as political fodder now. But I guarantee you Don Samuels is not going to be calling personally, calling back every person that calls him from his district. That's just not going to happen. But as I said, I, I mean, I, I put it more in the I'm I'm feigning outrage because it's a political point. I'm trying to make a difference. Bob, bob, bob. So. Not dismissing your point of view, I'm kind of looking at more in the political thing, but where it goes really off the rails is this whole, you're not cute enough, you don't dress well enough, nothing about what you you is attractive enough to overcome that deficit. What? That's not, that's, yeah. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Once again, we'll play that with Michael Broadcorp and get his thoughts about, because he was there. That was his podcast. So we'll get, we'll talk to him a little bit about that coming up here in the four o'clock hour. Let's take a break. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil show. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Uh, if you do want to chime in on the uh, Don Samuelson, uh, Samuels thing, you're more than welcome to. Like I said, I, I don't know where you think you're going with that, but uh, 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 um, yeah, that that's not good, man. <laughs> that's, that's not good. That's, once again, the exact quote um, – is in, in, in yeah, this is once again talking about Ilhan Omar. You're not cute enough. You don't dress well enough. Nothing about you is attractive enough to overcome that deficit. Um, well, thank God it's not the Miss America pageant because uh, that's uh, th- that's not what they're doing there. Um, you know, I, I, I don't quite know what do, what do you what do you think House reps do. There's not a bikini competition. Um, yeah, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. It doesn't get much better for the Republicans. Uh, this is, yeah, a contingent of right-wing Republicans wants to remove the leaders of the Minnesota Republican Party, including Chair David Hahn. 
<laughs> the December 9th meeting at the State Central Committee. A group of delegates and alternates of the State uh, Central Committee laid out their case in a letter for removing Han, who was elected in 2021 after a federal sex trafficking scandal and allegations of toxic work environment led to the fall of former chair Jennifer Carnahan. The state Republican Party has been financially struggling in part due to the cost of dealing with the Carnahan fallout and a divided over former President Donald Trump. The insurgent group claims Han failed to responsibly manage the GOP resources and maximize support for 2022 candidates, contributing to a dismal election for Republicans in which Democrats won a trifecta. Han said everything alleged in the documents was well known when state officers were elected in December. There's nothing of substance in it, he said. I would. Ju- I just would hope no journalist would report allegations without any bi- a basis. <laughs> you know, it's funny. That's a Republican saying that. As you know, do you know how many times that the that the that that, that, that I I'll, I've caught media reporting allegations without any ba- basis about Democrats because it came right from a re- uh, yeah exactly. Larry the Moose Deuce, actually, I don't know if his nickname is the Moose. It should be. Larry Deuce, D-O-O-S-E, the chair of the Mille Lacs County Republicans and a state central committee delegate, said he is one of over 100 delegates and alternates in the state central committee who signed into a letter seeking new leadership out of about 900 total. They need two-thirds of about uh, of about 350 delegates to vote with them to succeed. So basically – if they've got 100 delegates right now, they need two-thirds of that. That means they need basically uh, 230, 235 or something like that for them to succeed. There are about 100 right now. It will be interesting to see what happened. happens. Dew says that's a high bar, but he's hopeful that once people see the truth, they'll vote for a new leadership. If they survive this, then the people like me that have a problem can at least say we got heard and we can all move on. <laughs> sure you will. He said the group, which has dubbed itself Rebuild the Minnesota GOP and is predominantly made up of the mega wing of the party, has been pushing to correct the problems of the past couple months and finally decided to go public. Although, to my knowledge, only one of them has... Has, have they all put their names on that letter or is just one of them admitted he signed it? There's a lot of displeasure with our leadership, Deuce said. Basically, we want to move on and elect our candidates and not have to be this distraction. He said the rebuild Minnesota GOP is comprised of newer people to the party like him who got involved after the 2020 election because what we saw was happening, as well as other longer-term Republicans. What unites us the most is the leadership. We have recognized that the leadership will not own up to problems or mistakes that they have made, and there is this sense of entitlement among them. The complaint again alleges Han has mismanaged donations to the party, jeopardized his ability to raise money and receive national committee funds next year. They say the party paid off millions of dollars in debt from 2017 to 2021, but is now again hundreds of thousands of dollars in the red. That is in part because the party paid $52,000 to vote electronically at the 2022 convention instead of using tellers, as was the procedure for decades, and spent $128,000 on audiovisual services at the convention instead of using the Rochester Civic Center's audiovisual equipment. My guess is both of those vendors are Republicans run by Republicans, and that's how the money got funneled into them because that's kind of how they do things. And by the way, that was uh, – we should mention at that Rochester convention, the uh, crockpot, uh, Kim Crockett, was running for secretary of state, uh, put out an anti-Semitic video uh, at the convention – 
And, um, yeah, they all clapped and applauded. They thought it was great. <sighs> wow. Federal Election Commission reports show that the party with, the party with $145,000 of cash on hand, but $414,000 in debts. That would be a negative. Is it any surprise to you? Just, just a quick side note, if I can. Is it any surprise to anyone the Republicans are so bad at fiscal issues? Let me take an example. We have a budget deficit. The majority of that budget deficit, the vast majority of that budget deficit was caused by the Trump era tax cuts. Tax cuts that were people warned were only going to go to the millionaires and billionaires who didn't need the money, was not going to go into the economy. And technically what it was was borrowing money from China, giving it to the wealthiest people and then telling the poorer people they have to pay it back. So a logic problem would say if the Trump era tax cuts caused the deficit, then why are we talking about Medicaid, Medicare and Social Security? They didn't do it. The Trump era tax cuts did. And if you want to help the deficit, why don't you undo the Trump era tax cuts? Because those are what's caused the deficit. You borrowed a bunch of money from China. You went to the wealthiest people in the country with wheelbarrows full of cash, dumped it on their front doorstep, probably strapped on your knee pads at the same times, then say, thank you very much. We'll be back with another load later. And then you come back and you say, you know what's bankrupting our government? Food for the poor. (laughs) You guys suck at financial issues. You guys suck at it. That's why, I mean, I can't tell you how many stories in the last 10 years, 13 years, I have seen of Republicans absolutely robbing their company, robbing their party, just jamming as much money in their pockets as quickly as possible over and over again. And and is it a big surprise that you elected King Grift himself, a man that basically did everything in his power to grab if he, they would have allowed him to he would have run over to the treasury building and grabbed as much dollars as he could and jammed it in his pockets that is who you got that is your hero king grift himself king orange grift sounds like a soda doesn't it they drink you you want you want a refreshing soda well what you sure as heck shouldn't drink king orange grift that will give you indigestion every time king orange grift is it orange or is it an off brown we'll leave it up to you king orange grift (laughs) it is more of an off brown really let's be honest with you it's it's i don't want to go down that path but i'll just let that one sit out there and i'll continue so um no the republicans are atrocious at handling money Atrocious. I remember when it was was Sutton was the head of the GOP and and basically they they were missing credit cards. That was when they were about to get evicted. The trucks rolled up. They were going to throw them out of the building. Just gorgeous. Just gorgeous. But you clowns keep insisting to us you are the party of of, of fiscal rules. And yet you guys can't manage your own budgets. And once again, if you want to look at the federal deficit, 
fine. What caused the majority of the federal deficit is the Trump era tax cuts. Why in hell would you cut anything else before you cut them? Ta-da! See how this works? This is called logic problem. Anyway, let me get back to the super-duper with the checkbook Republicans. Federal Election Commission reports show the party with $145,000 cash on hand, but $414,000 in debts. The most recent state campaign finance report, which doesn't include any of the 2023 data, shows $8,000 on cash on hand and $76,000 in debts. Uh, I hope you, I hope the FEC one is right because that means you're only, you know, basically, you know, two thirds in the hole as opposed to nearly, you know, 10 times in the hole with the other. <laughs> Republicans, we're great with cash. Hey, does your kid know how to do AV stuff? Anyway. Deuce and other signatories want details on attorneys working on litigation for the party, including their billable rates. The complaint also alleges, uh, by the way, I don't know if you think you're going to get rid of those lawyers, but I've seen what your party has done the last few years. You'll probably want to keep those guys on retainer. Just a suggestion. The complaint also alleges Han violated the rights of state convention delegates. Hmm. Uh, in May of 2022, by extending the raucous convention an hour past the set adjournment time, even though many delegates had left, it was their it was bedtime for them. It's like four in the afternoon. Um, sorry, sorry. I have no idea if it was their bedtime, but I mean, you're, if you're going to get that blue page special, that's before five. You got to be down there. I mean, that's they're they're pretty strict on that, even with your senior discount. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. I have no idea why I'm doing that. Anyway, they were upset because they they extended an hour more than they wanted to, even though many of the delegates had left. The claim change, uh, charges they claim changes to the Constitution made in that last hour were invalid including extended assembly uh, certification of affiliates from one year to two years and initially certifying the Hispanic Republican Assembly of Minnesota. I think I know what they're really upset about. Uh, Deuce. I just realized it's Deuce. Never mind. No. Sorry. Another statement pinched out by Deuce said after delegates were told to leave, the convention reconvened and they rammed through a block of amendments. And if your name is Deuce, you know about ramming through. The group alleges Han did not properly recertify affiliate groups. Deuce says Deuce, the Deuce. Uh, Deuce says it's important because once the party aligns with an affiliate group, that gives them affiliate influence in the party and a vote at the state convention. So when recertifying them, we're taking a look at their values and making sure they align with our party, a.k.a. we're watching you Hispanic Republican Assembly of Minnesota. In the run-up to the convention, the state central committee failed to formally recognize the number of affiliate groups and add diversity to the party, including the log cabin Republicans of Minnesota, the Asian American Republicans of Minnesota. The complaint demands to know how many events were held by the party to support affiliates last year, how many events were planned next year. 
Um, the convention where many can- candidates appealed to their very loud MAGA segment was so heated that convention goers were warned to leave their slingshots, flamethrowers, potato guns, large knives, irritant sprays, and hordes of insects at home. But real guns were fine because, you know, stupid. Um, yeah. <laughs> Oh, really, Deuce? I'm sorry. I'm a child. I'm a child. Anywho, um, let me first of all say, yay, Maddie Happy. Maddie Happy. Yes, 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 yes. You definitely want to have this very avoidable fight. You surely do. Let me also say this without a shadow of doubt in my mind, and I'll get Broadcorp's thoughts on this as well, but this is without a shadow of doubt in my mind. If the House Republican, if the Republicans want to take back the Minnesota House, if David Hahn is not there, they've got no chance. Because, and this goes back to what I just said yesterday about Dean Phillips in the third seat opening up, is that even if you were to find a moderate Republican who would be willing to go out there saying, hey, I don't support Trump and I'm not with the rest of these MAGA guys. You being in charge of the party, you would put insane amounts of pressure on them. That they have to be everything right wing. That they have to be against the LGBTQ population. They have to be for abortion restrictions. They 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 have to be for the most right wing Trump MAGA stuff that you can be. And there is no way on the planet. I understand you guys are convinced. Heck, in your own party. You're only about a third of the people, but yet you are convinced that everyone outside the doors is on your side because you only surround yourself with people in a bubble, the same people who agree with you, the same news outlets that validate your narrative. That's all you do. You don't really venture into the rest of the world to realize, oh, no, we're actually a fringe. We're actually a a small percentage. And you see, this is your fatal flaw because used to be that political parties tried to work together to get the party in power. You guys could care less about the party getting in power. You just want the same group of people to be in power. And that's it. And you know, you're, it's you and your ilk. It's Trump and right-wing MAGA. We've got to punish Democrats. We've got to put them in jail. We gotta, we're going to evict them for their house for no reason, and we're going to let Republicans take it over. Ha! And we're going to use all their stuff. That's what that's what MAGA is nowadays. So I, you know, if if Han is not the head of the Minnesota GOP, the Republicans will not only win back the Minnesota House. And my guess is they will lose at least three to five more seats, at least, because in case they haven't figured it out, MAGA doesn't sell in Minnesota. 952-946-6205-952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Uh, In other news here, uh, Rochester Public Schools is considering shutting down three schools due to ongoing financial shortfall. The plan presented to the school board on Monday, referred to as the attendance options redesign, also involves every school attendance boundary being redistricted, including retooling of six um, district-wide schools. Uh, Students would be placed in schools based on a lottery drawing. 
It comes after district voters earlier this month narrowly rejected a tax levy that would have regenerated more than $100 million over the next 10 years. The money would have freed up $7 million for the general fund to be used in technology needs as well as $3 million per year to maximize technology use and support the financial plan. The district is now considering a proposal that cuts three schools from its budget, Riverside Central Elementary School, Mighty Oaks Early Learning School, and Pinewood Elementary School. Superintendent Kent Peckle, who proposed the plan, cited a sustained pattern of declining enrollment. I don't think this is going to help you. The 10-point plan aims to change school attendance options, attendance boundaries, and the transportation system in order to better balance the the budget in the district. This includes configuring, reconfiguring two schools, Churchill and Hoover Elementary Schools, so that Churchill would focus on K-5 and Hoover would serve only early childhood students. Lincoln K-8 schools would also move to a building that's currently uh, occupied by Riverside Elementary School with any student currently attending Riverside then switching to Lincoln. Additionally, it would change Longfellow Elementary's calendar for the 45-15 calendar it currently uses, transform it to a K-8 school that utilizes the traditional school calendar. They also have have talked about adjusting their start times. These time changes, the plan argues, is due to the district being too large geographically for transportation services to pick up students on one end of the district and deliver to school at the other end of the district, then turn the bus around and pick up another group of students and get them back to school on time. Transportation costs will also increase the next school year due to a new contract from Fru's student in the district. Costs will increase 30% and add $3 million to the already $10 million transportation budget. Um, the teachers in the three schools slated to close will have an option to move to a new jobs, but is expected the district's overall roster will shrink. The new proposal will be approved by the school board, has to be approved by February 1st. So here you go. Good job, Rochester parents. You screwed over your own school district. I'm sure, no, you are patting yourself on the back. We stopped these people from wasting our tax. Wait, wait, wait. You're closing down my school? You're closing down my kids? That wasn't part of the plan? Why is my kid's school getting shut down? Because you voted to not fund the school. There is, this is, I mean, I get it. You nutbags on the far right are convinced that every school district is 20 Democratic, far left, woke administrators each taking a billion dollars of the year, sitting on their chaise lounge, eating their bonbons and having margaritas 24-7. The reality is no. These school districts are already cut to the bone, so you decided to cut some of the bone off. And now all of a sudden you guys are going to be upset because, well, I didn't mean for this to happen. Well, what did you think was going to happen? They told you what was going to happen. You basically said they don't know what they're talking about, and guess what? They did. They did. So high five, morons. Guess what? You've made your school district worse. And once again, I'll go back to say something here that I said before. The It's clear that the people who um, – that, that that are saying this school district has gone down, that attendance has gone down. It's not going to get better. So, you know, I like I said, I think what we have to do statewide is this, is you have to just say the athletic budget is the first one go. 
because athletics are not the primary reason people are in school. And I understand some people will say, well, no, we enjoy athletics and that's a kid's chance to go to school. No, it isn't. The school is there to educate people. Athletics are an alternative thing. There are plenty of options that don't involve schools for places you can play and any sport. So you, you, that's where you do it. And I guarantee you, if that was the rule, that the athletic department was the first one to be cut, that every referendum in this state would pass and it would pass easily. Hour two. That's up next. Hour number two of the show here on here Tuesday. Matt and Patrick. Brett stepping into the studio with us. Hello, Brett. How are we? I'm doing all right. How about you? All right. Can I dangle you guys off a tree to hang up some Christmas lights? A tall one, about 25 feet. <laughs> it will hurt really bad you fall. I mean, and so can we do that? No. All right. You're not done with the Christmas lights yet, huh? <laughs> no. I didn't even started the Christmas lights. Ah. Well, I, I'm okay. I'm a purist in the sense being it's I do Thanksgiving first. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I'm not yeah. one of these people that Halloween goes out the door yeah, and yeah. I I got Christmas lights wrapped around a pumpkin. Mm-hmm. You know that doesn't happen. No, I'm I'm that's I'm just I have to have. I first of all Thanksgiving is a wonderful holiday, man. It's a lovely holiday. I had a great time. I don't want it draped in another holiday. I mean it's. It's, 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 welcome to the 4th of July. Find the Easter eggs. You know, I don't know. I don't need to do that, man. No, I'm with you. Yeah, no hanging up lights until after Thanksgiving. Have we been – Patrick, get ready for this one. You're going to have, I think, a comment or two on this too. Have we ever been in a worst moment in sports in this town's history? This town sucks to watch sports. And I, and I say this – I mean I understand. You, you're saying to yourself, Matt, that we listen to you because you're not a sports station. I get it. But do you know how much money we freaking spend on sports stadiums and sports and all these things? I have never gone to the Guthrie Theater and seen, say, the importance of being earnest and come out and like, God damn it! You know, that's like that was the worst presentation I ever said. Why did we build this thing? I never have done that. Never once. I've never come out of any play. I've not walked out of the Ordway and said, son of a, never! I kind of like the idea where the Vikings have their vent line at the end of games. If they had one for the Guthrie, <laughs> the vent college show. <laughs> we cannot give anyone ideas. Although I will say this, and this goes to any theater in town. You want me to record a message so because you come out and say, please make sure your cell phones are off. I will gladly record the next message you'll air. It's like, hey, 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 you heard that? Turn your damn phones off because someone's going to have their goals off and we're all going to point at you and laugh and mock you. Turn them off. Nah, that's going to be thing. the Christmas Carol cuss line. Oh, gosh, it would be. <laughs> what was with the ghost of Christmas past? <laughs> it would be a very different world if we did it that way. I like that the theater vent line that we have at the end of every performance. Call into this radio host and complain. <laughs> You know, I went to the Liechtenstein exhibit over at the MIA. Those sons of bees, man. I can't believe. Do you see how they laid that out? I was supposed to enjoy that? They brought in the curator for this reason, and they could have had this guy instead. <laughs> we could have had Vermeers. You had this. What are you doing? Anyway, no, uh, we do put a lot of uh, time and effort here. Let's, let's just run down the hit parade, shall we? Uh, Go for football. Stinks. Uh, even though they're going to get a bowl game, and I don't know, Colin oh, McCullough is transferring. So, who, are you quarterbacking the Gophers this day, this the bowl game we get? Well, there's nothing like Detroit oh, in December for a bowl game or wherever they're going. Surprised we're not getting into like Churchill. <laughs> it's the Polar Bear Bowl. 
Uh, whoever loses gets eaten by polar bears. <laughs> uh, might be just desserts. Uh, go for basketball. Better, but uh, they still can't get anyone to show up for the games. Uh, Minnesota United sucks. You know, we just fired our coach, um, which they probably should have done a long time ago. The Wild are the worst they have ever been. The Minnesota Wild are the worst they've ever been, and they're probably two years before they're getting good. The Gopher hockey team, who I love, they're like number eight in the nation. Now you say yourself, oh, for them, yes. Yeah. Gopher volley, and they've had a lot of bad yeah, that's, losses that's this year. down for them, yes. Yeah. Gopher volleyball. I mean, we're, 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 who are we playing? We're playing in Salt Lake City in Omaha or something like that. We're going to get destroyed. Um, you know, you, you know, the Twins just traded away half their pitch starting rotation. So go team, go. I guess I'm going to be pitching next year. Uh, the 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 Lynx got walloped in the first round of the playoffs. You got the Vikings, who I don't even know what to think about that game. I'll talk about that with Broadcorp a little later on. The only bright spot on the horizon, and Dr. Joe is going to be happy I sent this, your Timberwolves, who are, are they still the best team in basketball right now? I don't know if they're the best team in basketball. They are the best team in the Western Conference. Okay. Has it ever been this bad before? That it's just it's just a whole big slop trough of crap. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think when we've had you went through every team, and you're right, none of them are really having good seasons, or at least up to their standards. Like in the case of goal for hockey, but everyone's down. All the pro teams aren't any good, except the Timberwolves. It, it, and if there are only hope, we are in trouble in Minnesota. I, just, I, I keep saying to myself, they're fun to watch. Um, I think they've got a lot of potential, but it's a long season, and they got to get through some pretty tough teams in the playoffs, although the the, the Denver Nuggets actually seem to be very concerned about them. No, well, I, don't, I just – I mean, for the amount of money we spend on this, I, shouldn't we get some kind of return on all of this? One thing I will say about the Wolves is they haven't exactly had a cupcake schedule to begin their season either. They've beaten a lot of really good teams, yeah. so that that's a reason to be optimistic that it's – they're not just beating teams like the Charlottes and the. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else. The Golden State things. Neck yeah. Chokers, yeah, those Memphis. Guys, yeah, 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 there. I love the Neck the Chokers. chokers. <laughs> <laughs> the Body Slammers, yes, I love them. Uh, no, I, I just for the amount of money we spend in this, we we spend a lot of money. Now I'll I'll cut the college teams a little bit. I mean, that's just part of the NCAA now. And I'll, so you know, although you know that is a big expensive football stadium. And they've got they've got a lot of facilities over there. I'll I'll give them a little more a little leeway. But these these even Minnesota United, even our soccer team, who that has probably the most adoring, loving fan base I of any. The Lynx and the and United are probably the most beloved by their fan base. And this is how they say thanks to us. This is how they say thanks to those people that are out there in the cold days and you know wonderwalling it out there. I you know I just I find it. This is just incredibly disappointing because we, we are going to we, – we have all this discussion about infrastructure and sports and building stadiums and do we keep teams. And we do this and they keep promising, you know, stadiums get you championships. Well, yeah, for other teams apparently. And I just I, – I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of it and I just – I mean there's no joy. There's no value in it. It's, this entire town is down today because the Vikings lost to the freaking Bears. This would be a pipe dream for the next new stadium, but uh, I'm sort of serious with this. What if you put in a provision that the taxpayer money that's contributed goes up with the more games you win? If you lose, well, then you got to foot the bill if you're the team owner. 
They would never go for it. Oh, of course they would never, <laughs> never go for it. It's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, give, give, give Brad a solid there. That's actually a heck of an idea that if you, if you win a Super Bowl – that you basically don't, you know, the, the taxpayers will cover all that. Just it, just doing the NFL team you know, on this one. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the taxpayers will cover, you know, half the cost. But if you basically, you know, you can't make it out of the first round of the playoffs, well, you know, that's, it's, you, you know, you, you're going to owe the taxpayers back a few hundred million dollars. Yeah, and that's why no one would ever go for that in their mm-hmm. right mind. Because no it, pro- it, yeah. it's not about it's not about putting a winning product on the field. It's not. It's about getting the the space so they can build hotels and condo complexes and restaurants and and extra sports facilities and tax breaks and raking in as much cash from the. I told you about going to the Vikes game, and it's like, okay, did you need a beer vendor every twenty feet? Because I mean, that's what you did in case I finished my last one from the last twenty foot one. You know, it just they are raking in so much cash off this. It's not about they could care less. It's going to be interesting watching the wild this year because that whole system over there is based on just basically being good enough to where you keep people in there. They're going to be that's going to be a half empty stadium by the end of this year. It's going to be they're going to be so far out of first place. They're you know they're not even going to they're they're going to have more fans for the other teams there than they will for the wild. And it's going to be interesting to see what their approach is because all of a sudden now you need to actually deliver something. Well, and you bring that up because they had that type of period in the 2000s where they lost a lot, but they still had a big crowd because hockey was still new. NHL was still new in Minnesota. That's not the case anymore. So you very well, well could be right. That they, got a they, lot of, they got a lot of people at the X that basically are only there because it's, it's Instagram and Snapchat mm-hmm. feeds time. It's not about – you know there are a lot of people there that I don't think care at all about the hockey team. I mean, I'm saying that there aren't some, but I'm just saying there's a lot of people there. It's more about, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me, not fans of the game. And because of that, that team doesn't have to deliver. Why do teams, why do the teams in the southern parts of the United States, where it's considered a novelty act, it's considered the circus, why do they keep winning Stanley Cup championships? They won one out in Vegas. There's no ice in Vegas. Why? Because they have to compete. They have to keep people in there. They will have no one in you know, in, in Dallas or in Tampa or in Vegas, no one will go to those games if they're really bad because they don't have the fan base. Here, they take advantage of the fact that they have the fan base and it's good enough. So that's that's one of the things I think is going to be interesting there is that, you know, I mean, my guess is, is anyone going to have the brazen nature to basically say, we need a new stadium after this year? Oh, would that be cool? <laughs> 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 yeah, you build us the new XL Energy Center. Yes. Stanley yes. Cup's coming to St. Paul. Is, is it? Is it uh, basically on an, 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 an a goodwill tour? Uh, it's not you, you're not wrong, though. It's 20 years old, the XL Energy Center. It's getting to that point where a couple of years they're going to start thinking about that and going to the legislature. You know, yeah, we can yeah, use some upgrades or maybe even a new arena. It's time for us to go and visit Kansas City. Look around here. Look, it's Kansas City. You wouldn't want to see the North Stars happen again, so... Yeah. Build us a new arena. And you know what? And the thing is this, is that I'll go back to the first thing I said, the Guthrie Theater. <laughs> no one's going to the Christmas Carol and coming out and going, son of a, that was the worst play I've ever seen in my life. No one's doing that. And we, and we don't have, but we have more people complain about pittance donations from the state to these organizations to keep these theaters up and going, even though they consistently put out a quality product. The art museums consistently put out a quality product and they get a pittance. They don't get $500 million. 
They don't get a billion dollars worth of infrastructure improvements. They don't get any of that stuff. It's just uh, – yeah, I just – I don't see what the worth is anymore. I mean it's just it, – this is – it's hard to see, you know, Charlie Brown, sad Charlie Brown This in that th- this town has become after, you know, just because they're just constantly beaten down and no one gives them any hope. And it's – and yet we're going to get – we need another $200 million for a new upgrades for luxury suites that you will never be afford, able to afford to get into. Uh, anyway, happy holidays. Uh, you, of course, you were, you actually didn't talk to Cooligan today. You talked to one of my favorite. Yeah, he's favorite. a little under the weather today, so Is I had he? a chance to oh, okay. speak to uh, Dina Winter of the Minnesota Reformer, and I'm glad I did because she followed around for the past few days. Mike Lindell of MyPillow. Mike, Mike Lindell. Yeah. Two days of following around Mike Lindell. Yeah. How many Hardys did he go to? <laughs> uh, who doesn't love those biscuits, man? Those are tasty. Uh, two days with Mike Lindell, Dina Winter with there. Is she okay? I think. Well, she's uh, yeah, she's all right. Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dina Winter from the Minnesota Reformer with her her post Lindell story talking to Brett right here on AM nine fifty. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon. And as usual on Tuesdays, we're joined by one of the great writers over at the Minnesota Reformer. Great resource for the latest in Minnesota news and politics over at minnesotareformer.com. As today, we are going to be speaking with Dina Winter of the Minnesota Reformer. as She had the chance over the past few days to shadow Mike Lindell of MyPillow and learn a little bit more about who he actually is, how he does business, and what is thoughts are on all these conspiracy election theories that he's been uh, posting for the past or that he's been at least pushing for the past few years so we're going to be talking about all of that today dina thanks so much for coming on the show you bet absolutely so my first question is in regards to when you were able to shadow mike lindell how were you able to set this up because i'm curious was he receptive to this did it take some you know um arm tugging to say hey well maybe this could be something you know that could be worth doing for our readers or was he pretty overall receptive to the idea of having you kind of shadow him for a few days yeah he was um receptive right away um he's always been pretty good about answering the phone when reporters call and he told me at one point during the course of the two days that he every journalist in america has a cell phone number so <laughs> I didn't feel special anymore at that point, but, um, but, it, you know, even though he's, he's sort of held a grudge against me for years because he, he didn't like a story I wrote when I was at the Shakopee Valley News, um, about layoffs. And he's always remembered that, even though I've now, now moved on to the reformer and so on. But, um, every time I call him, he remembers right away who I am. <laughs> I always think he'll forget. But he doesn't, and he'll always give me grief about that. Like, seriously, he's not joking. Um, so I didn't really think he would do it, but um, right away he said yes and, you know, was very accommodating from start to finish. So, Well, that's absolutely wild, Dad. He's going back to your days of writing for the local Chaska newspaper, a, a negative article that he still <laughs> yeah, holds some grudges against with that. But, yeah, as you said, he still was yeah. able and willing to conduct the interview, which kind of goes into my next question because I always get the image, and I'm sure lots of other folks do, that Lindell is someone who's sitting in some dark office scouring the dark web for election conspiracy theories while calling into obscure media and podcast shows. But 
really, he seems like the type of guy who is busy and moving at 100 miles an hour, 24-7 a day, at least from what I read in the article. He is a fast-moving guy and willing just to talk about, willing to talk to just about anyone. Yeah, I mean, I think it seems like part of his strategy is, you know, once he figured out way back in like 2014, I think it was, that, you know, he started doing these appearances on media and his sales really shot up. And he would do these appearances with with various media outlets. And then he would always give a promo code. And that really launched his company. And so I think that perhaps, you know, dating back to those days, he he really knows how to use uh, the media. The media is a launching pad for sales. And that because that really worked for him. And so I feel like that. So part of the reason he's always willing to talk to reporters, um, even though even though he doesn't consider uh, friendly to him or that he thinks are conservative enough, you know. I mean, I can't tell you how many times during the course of the two days he <laughs> referred to the horrible media or, you know, <laughs> made derogatory comments about the media, you know, right in front of me. But, uh, but uh, yeah, he he – I don't even know, frankly, why – he agreed to do it because we're just, you know, we're just online and we're, we're, we're not his favorite or anything. So, um, but I'm glad he did because I just wanted to kind of get to know him better and get to see him, what he's really like. Well, and going again on that point that he's a very entrepreneurial person, you had a chance to also speak with former Chaska Mayor Bob Repke, who made some interesting comments about Lindell, talking about how he is very much all about selling his business and also, well, being all about his employees, which again kind of goes in the face of what we often think about him publicly, is that he is he does seem to be very employee-minded and have that very entrepreneurial attitude, and that's, again, kind of what uh, the former Chaska Mayor Bob Repke was saying about him. Yeah, um, even though he he ended up leaving the board of directors, um, he said, uh, and he, you know, largely over Lindell's political involvement and his, uh, you know, fondness for President Trump. And uh, Bob said he left, you know, largely over that, but he really had overall good things to say about Mike. You know that that he really is. A, involved in every aspect of the business down to granular stuff, which is what I saw and that he really does care about his employees um, in terms of like, you know, they talked about automation at one point and Mike was just not going to hear it, wasn't going to have it because he wanted to keep employing people. And, um, you know, some of the employees that, that I talked to were, of the same mind, you know, one of the women I talked to working out there, like five of her family members work there and a couple more used to. And, you know, they, those that work there really are true believers in a way, not, not necessarily religiously, but um, in him. So, so yeah, I mean, he's uh, like she said, you have to, you don't have to embrace all his beliefs, religious and political, but you just have to embrace who he is to work there. But um, yeah, Bob had good things to say about him overall as a businessman, even though he disagrees with them politically, I think. 
So what do his employees exactly think about his political beliefs? Because while he seems very dedicated to his employees, he's still out there pushing these election conspiracy theories that are, well, costing his company lots of money and potentially even putting job security on the line for some of his employees. So I'm curious what they're thinking about his foray into politics. Do they have any positive or negative feelings? Or what were your overall kind of sense when you had a chance to speak to a number of people who work for MyPillow? Um, you know, I think I feel like the ones that I talked to were were mostly he was surrounded by the upper level people. His son was one of them, and then you know his CFO, his chief marketing officer, really the high level people. And I don't feel like they're going to say anything negative to me <laughs> necessarily. Yeah, it's but, a good point. Yeah, it's their um, boss. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, and and I and and I, I don't know that most of them would say anything public, you know, publicly. Uh, but that's really something I wondered about and I tried to get uh, out of them some, you know, thoughts on that matter, but um, they kind of, they kind of, uh, they didn't really say much about that. I, I think that the sense I got was that it's not as though, you know, he's a really religious man and he really has super strong feelings about all these political issues and election issues, but they, didn't give me the impression that they necessarily all feel like they need to feel that way. And so I do think it's probably causing some pressure because, um, you know, so much of the day gets caught up in election stuff and political stuff. And really that has, that sh- you wouldn't think that would have anything to do with running a business like that, but it's just such a big part of him and, and his day uh, you know, I did sense some frustration at one point. Uh, an employee was in the hallway, like rubbing her temples, <laughs> like looked like in frustration. You know, so I do think that it probably causes some consternation. I mean, he has, according to him, they've lo- they've lost a lot of money in the last few years. I, mean, I think he said hundreds of millions of dollars since uh, all these companies dropped them. So I can't imagine that it's you know, going over really great with everyone, but they weren't, you know, they weren't uh, criticizing him. Yeah. Did you get in a sense of how the company is doing financially? Obviously, it's a privately held company, so we don't have access to the typical information a publicly held company would have. But I I am curious how they're doing with all of the big retailers that dropped him, because this kind of goes to an excerpt that you have in the article where you talk about how he was uh, debating which bills to play with, I believe, his controller of the company. And yeah, that's usually not a good sign if you're kind of sitting there thinking, well, we need to pay this bill and maybe hold off on that one. So I'm curious what your sense yeah. is in terms of how the company is doing right now. I mean, that's sort of been something I've also been wondering about for a while now, like ever since he really got involved, really, is like how has it impacted the company? Because we really, as a private company, it's so hard to figure that out. But uh, so that I wanted to try to figure out more about that. Um, but And you're right, like as soon as I got there, pretty much, he got into a conversation with, I think, his controller about, um, you know, kind of how much money do we have? And and then it and then which bills they should pay, and and I was surprised he was just doing that right in front of me, you know, and wasn't trying to really cover it up or anything. Um, sounded very much to me like they're juggling bills, you know, and lo- talking about loans and so on. He's pretty so he's he's pretty open about all that. He talks about how American Express uh, 
dropped them at one point and they had to use credit cards to get by. And um, I definitely got the sense that there's some pressure there. Um, as you know, you may know, he, you know, his lawyers in uh, the defamation lawsuit, he's battling, uh, said he's not been paying them. Uh, he personally um, and he and my pillow have dropped that that firm uh consequently so i, I and and he says it's cost the company hundreds of millions of dollars so but he but then he'll sometimes also contradict himself and in a way like you know maybe it's hard for him to in a way it's like your instinct is to also make it sound like but we're coming back and things are getting better you know um so sometimes it would feel like contradiction you know like especially toward the end of the time, you know, I've had, and, and even since then, talking by text and on the phone, he's he's making it sound like things are going really well, that they they launched a big um, campaign around the holidays, and it's really doing well. So it's kind of hard to know exactly. <laughs> you get conflicting stories, but I do definitely think there's pressure. And, of course, these lawsuits could could really wipe them out. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure you're getting uh, some of that sales speak in there, too, since he uh, certainly seems like a born salesman. So, yeah, you're probably getting some yeah. of that in there, too, as you were, as, yeah, you're, you're certainly saying. Uh, last question for you here. And it, it, does he seem to have any regrets for going through with these conspiracy theories? Did you ever get a sense that maybe he's having some second thoughts, thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't have done this? Or does he really seem all in on trying to continue? pushing these election conspiracy theories even though it is it does look like it is uh, doing serious harm to my pillow i don't think so i don't if he does he did not you know vocalize them he is very firm on that he's you know he's a, he's a born-again christian he's very strong religious beliefs he believes that this is what god wants him to do and this is and he's going to do it and i didn't, I've never really seen him waver from that. Um, whether it's going to work out in the end, I mean, he and his wife believe, I think they believe it is going to. I got to meet his wife, and they just got married in the spring, and she was very resolute, too, that this is what they believe God wants you to do, and God's going to win in the end. So I think it's it's more than just, a personal belief it's a religious belief and he's going to stick to it to the very end however that may end we've been speaking with dina winter of the minnesota reformer and encourage you to check out her article where she had a chance to follow mike lindell for a few days to learn a little bit more about him we just had a chance to scratch the surface but encourage you to check that out it's titled mike lindell's conspiracy fueled pillow company fights to survive his election obsession you can find that over at minnesotareformer.com again that is at minnesotareformer.com dina really appreciate you joining on joining me on the show today it's a fascinating article and hopefully uh, people go and check it out all right thank you so much all right let's take a break and send things back over to matt mcneil on am 950 the progressive voice of minnesota it's the matt mcneil show Oh, we, we, I, I, we're not playing the Vikings song today, I guess, because 
the what happened last night. Michael Broadcorp is our Vikings expert. Also, he's a political commentator. We'll talk to both categories today, but we start with talking about the Vikings. Last night, they lose 12 to 10 in not exactly a scoring monster house. Uh, Michael, first of all, you were at the game. How, you know, how do you feel after you walked out of that one? You know, there was, it was, there was highs and lows. There was ups and downs. Um, uh, I'm glad I got to experience it. I will note that someone on social media posted this, and I saw it today, about the game, and it should be, it should be preserved. I don't know what the retention record policy is for post X or Twitter, whatever it's called, but someone sent this out last night that said, if you are a loved one, watch the Vikings bear game, you may be entitled to financial compensation. <laughs> um, it was just perfect. It was, it was, it was, you know, I was there with family. It was, uh, the, the game was, uh, not, I did not watch it at home. What I've heard from people that were watching at home, that it's been single handedly called one of the worst Monday night football games ever. It wasn't much better in the, in the stadium. Um, a lot of sloppy play. Um, but I'm glad I got to experience the high and lows. I do want to share one quick story. Sure. As I was walking out of the Vikings, uh, I was walking out of the the uh, the stadium last night, uh, and the and with my daughter, one of the best kind of comebacks that the Vikings fans were kind of you know kind of hurling at the Bears fans is they were they were touting in essence saying, "Look, thank you guys. You're still four and eight. You're four and eight. You're four and eight. They, they were literally debating about the Vikings record. And I explained to my daughter, I said, that's the Vikings fans in a microcosm. They lose a game. They should have won. You have these lonely bear fans leaving. They have an a four and eight record. And the Vikings fans, that's what they can come up with. What they fail to acknowledge is they they are one of the four wins that the Bears got this season. Yeah. Uh, how about we do start with a positive? You can't criticize the defense at all. The defense did exactly what they, the defense did exactly what they needed to do. And sure, that last drive they were able to go down the field, but don't look at the defense. They only gave up twelve points, and Chicago never once saw the end zone. Correct. The Vikings did. Yes, the Vikings defense did everything they they could. And starting from the positive perspective, that's a great place to start. And probably the only thing that we can be positive <laughs> about about last night is, and it's good that we're starting that way as Vikings fans. The um, Dobbs, uh, four interceptions, uh, he's, his problem is this, and it's interesting because you the, definitely his legs are something that Kirk Cousin doesn't have and was clearly something that was not, you know, something that defenses initially were not prepared for. But now we're looking at it, he can't throw the ball with accuracy deep. And, and deep, I mean by 30 yards or more. He's not exactly, we're not going Hail Marys into the end zone. But he's, he clearly has some consistency issues, throwing deep passes. And, yeah, that was something that, you know, the, the Bears' defensive game plan was this. We're going to stop the run. We'll stop short passes. And he just has to throw the ball downfield. And it was a good plan because they, got, they picked him off four times. Correct. And one of the things I think we've talked about in these kind of post-Viking games analysis that other people have wondered is, uh, you know, if my math is correct, Dobbs has been playing for, for seven years, and he has spent his time with uh, the Steelers, Jaguars, Browns, Lions, Titans, and the Arizona Arizona Cardinals. Yes. Um, one of the discussions that we had after we had a, you know a couple wins here and a few wins here in a row with Josh Dobbs is what was what did the other teams not see in Josh Dobbs? Did the Vikings just 
you know, hit the jackpot here? Or were there decisions that uh, other teams mistakenly made? You know, and, you know, one of them is, is Cleveland, who's now a quarterback. Um, you know, and I think it's fair to say after last night's game that we, I think, the Vikings fan base and maybe the Vikings organization saw maybe for the first time why he has been with so many teams over his seven-year career. Yeah. He he definitely, you know, he does bring some skills there, but once the defense knows how to play him, and Denver sort of saw that, and they kind of they picked up on it, although it wasn't as, I think, of they The Bears' defense, to give them credit, they really played a game which Dobbs just could not win, and it, and eventually he did get into the end zone that one TD, uh, touchdown pass to TJ Hawkinson, but it was it was clear, especially in the first half, that you know Dobbs just had, had no idea what to do there. Correct. And um, as someone also pointed out on social media, they said it seems that Dobbs did better as a Vikings quarterback when he didn't, when he knew less of the playbook. <laughs> um, it did, it did seem, it did seem, you're realizing, Matt, that my best analysis comes from listening to other smart people and reviewing social media. That's pretty good. Um, the good. other thing, the other thing, other thing is I would say is he just seemed overwhelmed last night. He seemed uh, uncomfortable, out of place. And I do wonder if, there is, um, if he's if he's just you know learning more about the Vikings uh, scheme, um, how they play their play calling. If he just hasn't adapted to that next level, that where they where he where he can be. You obviously can't win a game when you're just running kind of those those simple plays. There needs to be some depth to the play calling. But last night he just seemed incredibly out of sorts, and it was just a very it was an ugly game. It was just well, an ugly game. Uh, ugly game to watch. Your comment about the depth of the playing calling is spot on because I want to go through one series with you. Vikings score the touchdown. The Bears get the ball back. Immediately fumble. We are in Bears territory, which is not a place we were at a lot. And here are the three plays that we tried. Now, once again, there was two minutes and there was two and a half minutes left at the end of this Correct. series. So there was, you have to understand, you're up by one point. You need to get points. You, you This is not a run-out-the-clock situation. You need first downs. You need to move the ball down the field. And the first play was Madison up the middle for no gain. Second play was a one-yard gain by Madison to the right tackle. Third play was a pass, which was basically at the line of scrimmage, which, once again, you're then hoping that the defense allows your guy to run 10 yards. That was just such poor play calling. And I don't think that's Dobbs. I think that's the sideline. It's. I don't know. They, they pulled a PJ Fleck. They basically sat there and started celebrating before the game was over. And the reality is, you got three minutes here, and you do not want to get. I mean, they don't have to go a hundred yards. They just have to go sixty-five, seventy, and they'll have a shot at winning this game. And they that that was incredibly disappointing. How badly the play calling was at that moment because that was a key series, which basically ended up costing the Vikings the game. That was the most angry. I heard the crowd, and there was booing and, and heckling and kind of just general kind. But the, 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 that series of play, and you were you're very insightful by by selecting that play call. That's where things just started to get ugly in the stadium because there there was a lot of venting and yelling about the play calling and how that how that how they played out that last that last kind of series, and it led to the Bears coming back, and uh, it was very frustrating the play calling. It was not a well, I mean, you know, it was not a well. It was not a great game, and uh, both teams nothing. Uh, for, there's a lot of work that both those teams need to need to do. 
That game was clearly winnable for the Vikings. Um, and they're getting these situations where they just, there's that kind of sloppy play calling and there are a fair number of PJ Fleck references and it's justified in that situation. It's absolutely justified. The pot, the, the positive, the one other positive thing that we, we have to note is the, as, as of today, uh, and I always check before our calls, uh, the Vikings are still uh, on a playoff spot. Yes. Well, and they do. And the coaching staff has come on out here and said, you and I talked last week in, in the Denver game. If Justin Jefferson played in that game, the, the Vikings would have won. I still think even right. if he would have played in the game last night, Justin Jefferson brings such a dynamic, they would have beaten the Bears. I, I understand that Dobbs has got a problem throwing the ball deep, but now I think we are understanding maybe the reason why Jefferson hasn't come back might be a little bit the injury, but maybe it's they already know. It's like Dobbs really can't throw the balls with consistency 40 yards. We need him to do it, especially in high-pressure situations. So now they're basically saying they're going to reevaluate the quarterback situation, and whoever can throw the ball with consistency and accuracy to Jefferson will be the starting quarterback in two weeks when they, they come back from their bye week. Yeah, there's a much-needed bye week right now for this team, and we'll see what they do. I wonder um, – I, I, I just have a feeling – I mean, your take, do you think they go with Dobbs? I think they still do. I honestly do. I just I just don't know. I mean, the the rookie with the concussion, uh, I don't think that he's, he's you know, going to be the guy there. Um, but I think that, um, and Mullins, I mean, it's, you know, he's got a little bit more uh, of an, an issue there, but I, so Dobbs is one there. It just, it's, you've got to have a game plan that is a little bit more than, than just kind of hoping that, that one of these guys can get the ball down the field. Jared Hall, Jaron Hall was the guy, the, the player that got the concussion Mullins, Nick Mullins is the injured to the lower back. So Dobbs is still probably your number one starter, but I think we both can say this now. It's clear if you're the Vikings, you 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 you're going to Kirk Cousins and saying, "Guess what? You can come back. You know, we, we'll give you a contract. Yeah. Might not be as much money as you're going to get before because of the injury, but you know, you your 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 seat here on the bench is still warm, and we'll have you back for it. I think that that they got to just get through this season, and then it's get Kirk Cousins back, and hopefully he's healthy. Yes, I think I think I think they do start Dobbs. I think you know Jaron Hall. They, they they may take some additional looks at. I do think you're. I do think you're spot on with discussing that. You know, had Dobbs, you know, delivered us, you know, some wins. I had been, I think, more consistent, and you know, that might opportunity still might exist. We don't know, but as of now, I think Cousins has a clear opportunity to come back because it wasn't that last night's game was bad. It was really bad, yeah. and it was a very, very difficult game. Uh, to watch, to experience, and it was a tough loss because it was well within reach of the Vikings to win. Uh, one last positive note on football before we go back to politics here, but um, I will say this. They are 6-6 six and six right now. They got five more games. Raiders, Bengals, Lions at home, Packers at home, Lions on the road. Um, there is a legitimate chance this team could go win five games. And if if they win out the season, especially with Detroit playing the week before they play us in Detroit – at Dallas, there's a still a legit chance the Vikings could win the NFC North. And I'm not saying they will, but they, if they win all five of these games, I don't see how they don't win the NFC North. You're exactly right. If they can win, and, and that's a really surprising position for the Vikings to be in right now. Yeah. Um, based on, you know, based, based on last night's play, I will tell you, Matt, um, 
I've been, I was talking to my, I've been going to Vikings games for 44, I'm going to be 50, uh, 50 next month. I've been going to Vikings games for 40 plus years, 48 years, 47 years. Hands down, one of the worst games I've ever seen. Even, I mean, just because it was such, such sloppy play on both sides. Um, if, but if that team can get it together, uh, and they can get into a streak there, it's absolutely possible, um, that they could, that they, I, I think it's very, I think it's likely they make the playoffs. I, I think there's also, there's also a path for the Vikings to win the division. But if the team that showed up last night shows up for the Raiders, the Bengals, the, the two Lions game and the Packers, then we got real problems. Yeah. Then we got one last, there are one, one last negative thing I do want to say about last night that I was just not happy with. Uh, Adrian Peterson was there and I'm not a fan of Adrian Peterson. Uh, no, and no. he was there. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say there I, last I, night he did the he he led the scold chant with Chuck Foreman and Robert Smith before the game. Um, there was some noticeable booing in the crowd um, when he was there, and and I just uh, uh, it was a bad omen for the game. Uh, I think to have uh, Adrian Peterson walking around. Uh, U.S. Bank Stadium last night. It just was not a good experience. A lot of people wanting to forget a lot of things there. Let's just put it that way. All right. So yeah. uh, two weeks, we're going to talk uh, after the Raiders game. We'll, we'll talk after that. I want to get into politics because there's something. You, you've got your podcast, The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky, which you do have. Don Samuels, who is challenging Ilhan Omar for the primary for the Minnesota 5th Congressional District race, was on your podcast. He said a, a comment here. I've already played this once before in the last hour, but I'm going to play it again. And once again, for everyone that's listening, the first part of this, this is just standard politics. It kind of takes a turn there at the end of this. Uh, Patrick, if you could play that one more time. And so to see government not be responsive like that to the people who pay them, it is offensive to me. And to not be responsive and available to those people, to, to meet with them and find out what their concerns are and to answer their tough questions to not get back to people on the phone? Who do you think you are? And who do you think you're working for? You're not cute enough. You don't dress well enough. N- nothing about you is attractive enough to overcome that deficit. Uh, the, the first part of that is standard political talk, and I, that's just what it is. That's the game. That last part, you're not cute enough, you don't dress well enough, nothing about you is attractive enough to overcome that deficit. You, this is your podcast, man. First of all, your thoughts on that? I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a rough, it's a, it's, you know, if the interview speaks for itself, it's him. He is, uh, you know, it, it speaks for, I think it speaks for itself. And it is certainly a comment that, um, has gotten some attention. Um, and I think that it's it, the concerns that, that folks have. Uh, I think it's completely, their frustration can be justified in, in that comment. I understand. I understand. I don't, I, I don't, I've read the, the quote, read the context, um, read everything. And uh, I struggle a bit with, uh, I understand his point. Um, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. Uh, and I think it's important. Um, I just don't know how that's going to go over in the fifth. You and I talk about this before. It's called we call it an unforced error, and it doesn't mean he's in he's in real big trouble. But he does he's going to have to address that because that one is especially in Minnesota five. That's uh, 
That's not a good comment to make, and that's going to get traction. I guarantee that there. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is the report from the reformer that there is a group that is trying to oust David Hahn as the head of the Minnesota GOP. My personal belief is if the, the, the Republican Party has any chance at taking back the Minnesota House next year, Hahn has to be the guy in charge. If they put a MAGA guy in charge, they got no chances. They'll probably lose seats, as a matter of fact. Am I off base on that, or do you think that that's a, a fair assessment? Yes, first of all, I don't think that there's I don't think that the effort that's uh being organized against the chairman chairman Han and um is has any basis. I don't think it's procedurally allowed and I don't think that there's any rational basis. The chairman was just reelected to an ele- an election, he won. Um there's a pathway for that to happen if people want to remove the party office and do that. So I don't I I for the life of me I cannot comprehend why anyone would want the chairman of the Republican Party chairman hand to be removed. It would the Republicans have been trying to get their footing, uh, getting some stabilization uh, around their efforts, and, and I think that Chairman Hand um, and he and I have had our different differences over the years. But Chairman Hand is right now a steady hand at the till that's needed right now at the Republican uh, at the Republican Party. Got a got a good executive director in that they that they that they've hired. Um, I think it would be a, a cataclysmic mistake to do that. It would be a cataclysmic mistake to do that. And I'm not um, not supportive of it. I'm not a delegate. I'm not, an alt- I'm not an alternate. But I think that the Republican Party, both nationally and this state, has to stop shooting themselves in the foot when it comes to this stuff. And, and to piggyback a little bit and go back to the, the comment from the Samuels interview, I think it is important when anyone is talking that, that, they're, that they're engaging in meaningful, um, responsible rhetoric on both sides of the aisle. And, Matt, we've discussed both examples. And I think there is just uh, – I I don't – again, not my words. I don't agree with what was said. I don't even want to try and justify and explain what was said. There's obviously a context, and there's some statements made. The the listeners can listen to it. But I think that this is important times, and we need to be talking about important issues. Mm Mm-hmm. And on both sides of the aisle, we're experiencing this type of stuff. And I think it's incumbent upon uh, public officials um, and candidates running to engage in responsible commentary and think proactively yeah. about how they're going to message themselves. Right now, there is, uh, there is a group of inside the Republican Party who are engaging, who are both arsonists and firefighters. They are out there starting fires, and then they want to be the solution and pull them out. And I don't think that that is helpful and productive in this environment. Yeah. Likewise, uh, you know, in the 5th congressional district, uh, you know, we had a great conversation with Don Samuels. And, and I would say I would hope, and one of the things that he pointed out that I hope happens, I do hope there's debates. I do hope there's substantive conversations and discussions about what's going on. But when you, when you conduct interviews, your public record, your votes, all that stuff is fair game to be scrutinized. And both sides. And that's where that's how the process works. But when a candidate, when an incumbent is running, they want to. Generally speaking, when the incumbent is running, they want to talk about the positives of their record. When a challenger is running, they want to talk about the challenger. I would not talk about the challenger in in, in the language that was used. Um, 
That will be an issue for the voters in the 5th District to decide. And Chairman Han, and th- thank you very much. I, I mispronounced it. Thank you, uh, Chairman Han. I said the other way. But, no, you're right. And people overlook the fact that Han is basically dealing with the mess that he inherited, and that was a big mess. Correct. And the same thing is, I'll say this about Samuels, his first point, that's valid politics. Criticizing someone because you don't think they're as accessible to the constituents, that's legit. It's where it takes a turn when that becomes a problem. So you, you're exactly right. Spot on as always. Michael Broadcorp. And I hope. Go ahead. Yes, absolutely. No, I just want to say closing. I'm glad that you and I have found a way, aside from Vikings coverage, to always fairly kind of, you know, call out both sides in for this type of stuff. I'm not trying to gauge in both sides, but what I appreciate about our conversations as Republicans and Democrats that we're, we're not afraid to to speak up on on our sides or other sides. So we I used that, they we used to do this all the time. We don't do it anymore. That's why it's not so unique. This is how things used to be, folks. In the eighties, this is how things used to be. All right, uh, Michael. Two weeks. We'll talk to you after the the, the uh, Chargers game or excuse me, the, the Raiders game. Okay. I hope it's good news. I hope it's good news, my friend. Take care. Michael Broadcorp, I'll post all this stuff a little bit later. Final break. We'll come on back, wrap up the hour. It's the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950. And Michael Broadcorp there. Thanks to Michael. I appreciate that. No, but I will say this. I mean, Han is, 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 he is dealing with the still, the, the fallout of the Carnahan issue. And I think he's trying to right the ship, and I think he's trying to fight, do what you're supposed to do as the head of the party, try to win statewide. I see a lot of, I think Broadcorp's comment, there's a lot of people that are the arsonists who are also trying to be the firefighter in the Republican Party, but as well. Once again, then there's the Don Samuelson thing. We'll talk more about this, obviously, tomorrow with Stein when he's here. Native Roots Radio up next. We're back tomorrow. Until then, see ya.